Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Sullis, and with me is my very, very, very talented friend. She is my bosom buddy, the mixtress, DC Gina. Hey, Louise, how are you today? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Good. Sweating a and little bit. It's very hot here in DC. Where are you? I am at uh, Buffalo and Bergen in Capitol Hill. How's it going? Things all right. Sounds like it's hot. Hot. You know, people are on the patio. God bless them. And yeah. you know, a lot of pickup, a lot of to go right now. So that's good. That's but, good. Uh, good. You know, it's July in, in the is. capital. Yep, it is. So, um, Gina, uh, we all know there are a couple of famous couples that actually work together, like live and work together. So we know Tom and Rita, Will and Jada, Beyonce and Jay-Z, of course, all both, you know, famous couples work and live together. Um, but did you know there are actually a few famous couples who were engineering teams? No. Yeah. There was, yep. There are a few. It took a bit to find them, but there are a few. I thought and the Wright one, brothers were related. Well, these are married couples. <laughs> You're funny. right. They, they were an engineering team. You're 100% right. These are married couples. One being Emily and Warren, or Emily Warren and Washington Roebling. Um, and what brought them together, you ask me? What brought them together? What the did Brooklyn, it? The Brooklyn Bridge brought them together. Wow. Well, it's actually the construction of the Brooklyn Bridge, to be more specific. Emily was a civil engineer, and uh, her main responsibilities were for the guidance of the construction of the bridge. And her husband was a chief engineer who would have supervised all of the construction. Um, and actually, it gets a little bit bigger than that. It was a bit of a family affair um, because uh, Washington's father was actually um, the designer of the Brooklyn Bridge. And when he passed away, Washington took over and finished out as long as he could until he actually fell ill, unfortunately. And Emily was the one who finished the construction, oversaw all the finishing construction of the Brooklyn Bridge. And that's why I love it the most, because it's from a woman. <laughs> so I think it's I think it's kind of cool because it brings the uh, saying, it brings truth to the saying, love builds bridges where there are none. Nice, oh, huh? Oh, that's very poetic today. <laughs> I've been drinking. No. <laughs> For me, that's a gin quote, but I mean, let's see who the guest is today. I'm into it. Uh, What's the next so one? let's bridge the episode together, shall we? Arr, arr, arr. <laughs> And introduce today's designated drinker. He's also half of a husband and wife engineering team, the co-founder and general manager of Catoctin Creek Distilling Company, Scott Harris. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you guys. Thank you guys for having me. Hi, Thanks Scott. for coming. Hey, Gina. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you. It's sad that I have to see you via screen, but I know. But we'll take what we can get these days, right? That's Definitely. right. So, Scott, tell us, you've got to finish this joke. So two engineers walk into a bar and walk out as co-owners, co-founders of a distiller. Yeah, yeah. How two engineers, Two engineers walk into a bar and the husband says, I think I want to make this stuff. And the wife says, you're freaking crazy. <laughs> and look where you are today. And look where we are. She's an enabler for sure. <laughs> so tell us, really, tell us how, tell our listeners, how did it all start? 
Yeah, so, you know, um, both of us, as you said, are engineers. I was a computer engineer, so I was working in telecommunication systems and things like that. Um, and Becky is a chemical engineer, so Becky was doing manufacturing processes, um, contact lenses, styrofoam plates, um, computer parts, you name it. Her job was taking things from research into mass production. And I was like, wow, that would be really cool. You would make a great distiller. And um, for many years, I was telling her, we should start a distillery. We should start a distillery. I would love to do that because I don't know anything about it. And I really like drinking whiskey. And think how much money we'd spend if we just made it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and everybody thinks you're going to get rich making whiskey and all that kind of stuff. So I thought that too. And finally, you know, Becky says to me, she's like, look, and she like finger pokes me on the chest. She's like, look, I can make your whiskey. Making whiskey is not a hard thing to do. It's basic chemistry. But you need to tell us, or you need to figure out if you can make money making whiskey. And so she challenged me to write the business plan. And that was how woman. we got started. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and so have you, you figured out how to make money selling whiskey? Because like, a lot of people would want to know how to do that. Yeah, we're still working on that. Yeah. <laughs> the jury's still out. <laughs> it's, it's just your generation that's going to make the money. But you know, four generations from now from you, they'll be yeah. of your wealth. No exactly. I, uh, I I like to say I'm I'm in a very successful nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> I resemble <Perfect>. that comment. Hundred <laughs> percent. So um so that was kind of the way it started. But really, how did it take how did it take off? And then how the hell did you get to meet this one, Gina, over here? Yeah. So you know. Pretty soon after Becky, you know, sort of challenged me to write the business plan. This is way back in 2008, 2009, so that time frame. And I was approaching uh, 40 years old. So I was having my midlife crisis. And, um, and I was sitting in a, a windowless office with fluorescent lights doing PowerPoint charts all day. And I was thinking to myself, God damn it, there's got to be more to life than sitting in this office doing PowerPoint. And I kept dreaming back to when I was in high school, I used to work in a winery and I was like, that was a job. I mean, you, you, press the grapes, you ferment the grapes, you bottle the grapes. And then at the end of the day, you have something. I, I made this, I can, I can be proud of this. And so that was driving my passion along with, as I like to say, 20 years of government taught me a great love of whiskey. Um, and so <laughs> I had brought that idea to Becky. And, and so as I'm approaching 40 and, you know, having this midlife crisis, her attitude was, look, we're not going to do a damn thing with all this money that we've saved up as engineers over our lives, basically our life savings, unless you write it down in a business plan and then go to the bank and get some cash, um, get some financing. And so that was her challenge to me. So I wrote a business plan. It was like 30, 40 pages long and took it to the bank. And, um, you know, here I am, this, you know, 30 something guy with a 30 pages of paper, never been an entrepreneur, never owned a business, never run a business, always just been like a white collar worker and saying, I want to start a distillery. And the bank's first question was, what's a distillery? And because there weren't any back then. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, I explain it. It's kind of like a winery, but we make whiskey and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and so Becky's whole 
approach to this was, look, he's going to take this business plan to the banks. This is 2008, 2009. So this is the time of the first major financial crisis, right? When Too Big to Fail came to be and yeah. Lehman Brothers was collapsing and Countrywide Mortgage went out of business. I mean, all of this, it was it was apocalypse times, at the time. Good yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the tagline on my business plan was when times are good, people drink. When times are bad, people drink. You know, nice. and so we took that to the bank and Becky fully assumed that the bank would basically look at this and say, yeah, this is really neat, but it's pretty risky and we're not really interested. So thanks a lot. And then Becky, as the supportive spouse, would have been like, well, honey, you gave it your best. You know, now you need to go back to work because we got kids in college and, you know, we need to pay for that yep. someday. And um, for us, what happened next was the real miracle is that the bank said yes. And so then we found ourselves with a big check for a quarter million dollars. And we're like, holy shit, now we got to do it. Like now we have to make this reality. And so we basically started ordering equipment and getting licensed and putting this all together. And within a few months, um, basically in January of 2010, we had started producing the first alcohol in Loudoun County since before Prohibition. You mean this little product here? Yes, indeed. That Just like that. Yeah, we basically started making uh, moonshine, rye whiskey, and gin from the very beginning. It's exciting. So that's when I met Scott. It was in 2010, 11, 11. Yeah, it was pretty early, pretty early. We, I was you working read at, my mind, Gina. <laughs> I, was at, I was at PS7 at the time, which is no longer, and I was running a cocktail program. And in comes um, Scott prior to having reps and all that stuff. And I, I forget we distributed it with the first time around, or if you were self-distributing. And he brings yeah. this gin, and it wasn't Watershed yet. That was the second rendition, right? What was the first gin called? I forget. I was probably just Catoctin Gin or something like that. Yeah, Catoctin Gin. And it was good. But then very quickly after this, Watershed came out. And, I mean, it's been a house, it's been a house favorite for mine forever. And I know yeah. that you haven't tried it yet, Louise. So, like, let's jump into it and just Excited. try it. Because yes. I'm going to start to talk about it. And then, like, you're going to be like, what are you talking about? What are you Is talking okay? about? So, Scott, you and I, yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Scott, you and I have something in common. That is where I met Gina as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I find it. I mean, we've known Gina since the very beginning and, and we did some events early on together. And I remember one of them, you had done something like from cereal, you had made like a, a milk from a cereal and then oh. made it into a cocktail. And it was blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. Cereal milk cocktails. That's right. Yeah, that was definitely 20. That was 2010. Yeah, I think so. Cause I, I got a, yeah, that's when milk bar was first happened in New York. And it's the first time I had cereal milk ice cream. And I came back and I was like, I'm going to make that into a cocktail. Absolutely. Nice. All right. So, so, guys, so, tell, want, so sorry. Guys, I was going to say, tell me about the gin. Yeah, so Watershed Gin, um, named after the Chesapeake Watershed, which, of course, the Potomac flows into um, and where we live. Um, it starts with the rye. So we start with the rye that we use to make the whiskey, this local organic Virginia rye that has this beautiful fruity, nutty, velvety texture. We double distill it. So this is basically distillate that comes from the whiskey production. We distill it twice to get it really clean and nice. And then we macerate our herbs in there. So macerating the herbs, you're going to taste juniper. Of course, it has to have juniper to be gin, but then also coriander, cinnamon, anise, orange peel, about 10 different herbs that we put into that recipe for that gin. 
And what that gives us then is that rye gives us a really sweet, fruity base. You know, it's oh, yeah. some people have described it as velvety or slippery. It's got a nice mouthfeel. You know, it's relatively high proof. It's about 92 proof. And it has <laughs> this really nice velvety mouthfeel. And then on top of that, you build on those spice layers. So you get the juniper in the nose mostly, but then after the juniper, you're getting, you know, spiciness from the coriander, like pepper. You're getting um, cinnamon notes. You're getting those licorice notes from the anise, all those things kind of playing in together, which we would describe kind of like a mulling spice profile. Yeah, and those really come forward, especially even before. It's it's funny how much how well you taste them when people of knowledge explain them to you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's backtrack just a little bit for some of our listeners that are the first time you're you're doing um, spirit tasting at your house. A bottle of um, the watershed gin. When you're drinking a straight spirit, what you want to do is you want to get your mouth prepared for that kind of flavor, and you want to take a sip, kind of move it around your mouth, spit it out, and then blow out your blow out on your palate because you're going to prepare your palate for having such a high alcohol content then take your second sip and that's when you're going to actually experience what scott is saying and you're getting those aromatics on your um your old factories registering the fact that you have this on your taste bud and then all of a sudden those anise and cinnamon become very prevalent and you'll and you'll start to taste them up front on your on your nose somewhere in your in your old factory and then the other flavors of the um, rye and orange become the after. So yeah. you want to like re remember that when you taste something with that high of a, um, esters in it, you really want to blow it off, prepare your mouth, let it start to salivate before you take the next sip. Because otherwise, if you're not used to drinking spirit at that, at that hot of a um, temperature, you'll taste nothing. You'll be like, this is just hot. <laughs> and then, and, and you'll not experience those flavors. Yeah, Sorry, you know, that, I get that. I get that a lot about myself. They like the first take, they're like, she's just hot. And then they're like, Oh wait, then they spit me out. And they're like, Oh no, she, there is something more to her. <laughs> oh, you're selling yourself way short, Louise. The, uh... <laughs> I'm sure if you're listening to the show and you're, and you listen, this is Louise's tagline. One, one way in there, but am, am I the best looking person on the show? You are. No. You win. You win, Louise. Like, you win. It's like you spit me out. <laughs> uh, all right. So, so a lot of people, Scott, I want you to talk about a little bit about like um, distilleries and why you always have, um, you know, people. So we'll get into the rye for in a second. Um, one thing that, that I find very fascinating that most people don't know about distillers, the reason why you have a clear spirit such as gin is because you have to age your whiskey for such a long period of time and you need mm -hmm. some sort of revenue generating. But out of that revenue necessity, you really came up with such a beautiful product. Can you just elaborate a little bit on why you do that? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely the case. Um, so we started, you know, as a whiskey distillery, we were going to make whiskey from the very beginning, and we did. Um, and in our production process of making whiskey, you know, we use a Scottish style of distillation. So we're doing heads, hearts and tails. So, you know, the heads, you can't drink it, that's cleaner. The hearts are the whiskey, and then the tails are that extra stuff at the end of the whiskey that doesn't taste good for whiskey, and it has a lot of fusel oils. And so that stuff started to accumulate, you know, and start to have tanks of it. 
and we needed to do something with it. And so Becky was like, well, let's clean it up. Let's redistill it. That way we can pull out the fusel oils that taste bad and leave just this beautiful natural rye base. Um, and, and so we had that. Well, that rye base by itself doesn't have much flavor because all the flavor congeners were pulled out in the hearts when we made the whiskey. So this is tasting a lot like vodka, but it's not totally flavorless like vodka. It's just almost flavorless. It's not enough to be whiskey, but it doesn't have enough to stand on its own. And so then we said, well, that, very quickly, Becky said, well, let's make gin. And, um, and so we experimented. As you got to taste several of our iterations, we did 11 different tries before we found one that we really honed in on and liked. And, um, and so we're tweaking with you know, different amounts of the different herbs. There were some herbs we tried that just couldn't, couldn't we couldn't make them play nice with other herbs. And so um, it took us 11 tries to get to where we are. And the cool thing about distilling gin and we're doing it in a pot still. So we're not doing it with a gin basket like a lot of the big producers do. We make a maceration and then distill the whole thing in the pot still. And that means that all of those flavors line up like soldiers, like fractions of the distillation, and they march through individually. So at the very beginning of the distilling, and this, I love watching this, so fun to see it. The very first thing that comes off the still tastes like orange tang. Like it's this bright orange flavor really? that tastes so incredibly orangey and nothing else to it. And all of that comes through and that's the orange oil boiling off the still. And then it's done. And then you start getting this like Scotch pine and you know, um, Pineland Forest. And that's the juniper, right? Coming through for a long time. It's the juniper because there's a lot of juniper in the gin. And then you get notes of black pepper and honey and, you know, things we don't even put in it. You know, the, the black pepper taste, I believe, is probably part of the coriander, but it comes through and it tastes really distinctive. And then we go through and through and through. And then finally, at the end, we get into cinnamon. Now, cinnamon has two major flavors in there, two major fractions. The first fraction is that beautiful cinnamon roll, like you get at the airport, right? Cinnabon, you know, or um, <laughs> apple tart, you know, that thing that you love. But if you've ever seen people take the cinnamon challenge, you know that cinnamon is also bark, right? So that second part is barky and bitter. If you put like raw cinnamon in your mouth, it's not pleasant, right? It tastes bitter and barky and that part comes separate. And so what we can do in making the gin is we can keep this one we like and throw this one away. And so we only keep the fractions of the flavors that we like and we're able to basically handcraft that flavor by doing that. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Gina, what drew you to the gin? Because I know that, I mean, if anyone is can speak to like the quality of a gin, it would be, or of any spirit, it would be you. So, so like, I like to like, when I, when I, when I think about a category like this, I have different uses for different things, right? I say, there's some gins that I will use to make certain cocktails that'll stand up to different flavor profiles. What I like about the Watershed Gin is that it is definitely a gin that can stand into a cocktail. So when you use things like grapefruit juice with it, or, you know, you want to make a 50-50, or you're looking to drink it straight or almost straight in a martini, it holds its own um, its own profile. There are a lot of gins, unfortunately, that just, you know, they fall when you put something else with them. You know, for sure, you could do a gin and soda, and it'll taste like the product. But when you put, like, say, even something as basic as um, vermouth in a, a gin martini, the gin will lose its actual ability to like hold up and all you'll taste is the juniper. Um, one thing I love about Watershed, I like to use it in the fall for me, just because there's so many beautiful toasty notes. So like I, like my, my production of like when I start to use it, definitely when I do things with like 
you know, gourds and pumpkins, or if I get into my Christmas tonics that I make, mm. um, cause I, it's funny, I do put a lot of uh, cinnamon bark in my Christmas tonic because it is super bitter. Um, I, I like Mexican, I use a, a Mexican canale cinnamon. It's very, very bitter, mm. but it's also one of my absolute favorites. But like, that's, that for me is, you know, that's the reason why you can't just have one friend on a bar, right? You look at the back bar here and I, I can, I almost, I can put a name with every single product I have on my bar, but that's I also awesome. have a profile that I put it with. And if someone came in and they like, you know, I just like gin that has seasonality, a hundred percent, I'm going to give you watershed and be like, here you go. This is, this is what you're looking for. Sometimes people will say, I want something that's a fruit bomb and you'll go into a different, a different one. But each one has its own, its own use. But what I loved about I and I and I still to this day, and I've taken my staff to Catoctin Creek and to the distillery and like hung out and like given them education is the fact that the product is so the integrity of the product is so great. Like they really take time to like go through it and like when he's talking about the two difference of a still when he's talking about a basket still. You can do a basket, a basket distillation, or you can do um, column. And what he's talking about um, the pot still is that it actually has a long goose neck. Okay, so talking about all the beautiful things that you bring to the world, Scott. What else do you have for us on the show? So we have some whiskey as well. Um, we've, you know, as I said, this company is a whiskey company first and foremost. That's right. We got the Catoctin Watershed Gin, and we've got the Roundstone Rye Whiskey, and that's a 100% rye whiskey made in a Virginia style, which is basically then a. Um, pot stilled whiskey made from local grain. And that's what we've been making ever since we started this company about 11 plus years ago. So I'm sorry, again, what does it make it, what makes it Virginia style? So the Virginia style means that it's made from Virginia grain, local grain. So we're gonna talk about a terroir, you know, the flavor of the grain tastes the way it does because it was grown in Virginia and the gotcha. soil and the climate that we have and all of that. And the fact that it was pot stilled. So again, that pot still where you have the gooseneck and you're getting all that beautiful flavor that comes through in the distillation, unlike say what's going on in Kentucky, which is a column still, which is a much more efficient process for for getting alcohol, but it doesn't have the time to develop the richness of flavor that you're getting from a pot still. Gotcha. So was that part of the, when you decided to build the distillery in the beginning, is it, are those really the, is that the reason you went with the gooseneck mm -hmm. style? Yeah, we, we were really in love with the, basically a forgotten style of whiskey, the historical whiskey of America, which is, you know, Virginia, the birthplace of American whiskey, um, you know, was made here in Jamestown even. Really? Um, and absolutely. And way before bourbon even existed, they were making rye whiskey and selling it in Virginia. George Washington, our first president, when he retired, he was the largest commercial producer of rye whiskey in America at the time. I knew that, but I didn't know this was the birthplace. Who knew? Yeah, absolutely. So we can be very proud Scott. of Virginia. That's why Virginia is for lovers, man. It's because we got all the whiskey. <laughs> We're all drunk. Yeah. So do you remember, do you guys remember like social studies when you did that little um, thing in social studies where they said they put, made you do, what does America sell? And you had the rye belts and the corn belts and mm -hmm. the blah, blah, blah. Well, the entire rye belt comes through our region. Yeah. So... Rye from this area particularly is insanely delicious because you have very hot days and, very, and cooler nights. So that rye at night, the flower of the rye opens up and it gets this beautiful flavor. And that's why usually really good rye producers, so local rye producers will harvest sometime in the late afternoon or very, very early in the morning. 
so that it's, it remains open. So when you actually get the rye, the rye is its peak uh, aromatic. Again, dropping knowledge. I mean, I'm just, I mean, first of all, as Scott knows, I use this on all the time. Now we'll talk about this rye. This rye is extremely versatile and makes absolutely stunning whiskey highballs. And a whiskey highball, if you don't know what that is, is legitimately just heavily carbonated water and whiskey. And I absolutely love this. And I also like um, whiskey and water with just this, with, with like maybe like, a half in like two ounces of whiskey and like a quarter ounce of water, like really cold, like a spring water. Or if I'm, mm-hmm. or if I'm up in like uh, Middletown, Maryland, uh, a lot of people are on the well system and the water there is like really, really nice, good water. So like I just put a little bit of that in there and it's just really beautiful. And it's, it's one of those things when you really experience, you know, whiskey and water, especially water from a good well, it's just, it, it's like, it's, it's transcending. It can be. It could also be disgusting. Sure. <laughs> I'm realizing that well now is. that you really better make sure that that well is good well water. <laughs> Take care of their wells. Yeah. Well, you all know, right. water is very important. And in the distillery, all of the water that we use comes from a reservoir up in the Appalachian Mountains called the J.T. Hurst Reservoir. And this is Appalachian rainwater runoff, you know. And so the Kentucky people will talk about their limestone filtered water. And it really does matter because, you know, in this bottle, 60% of what's in here is that local water. And the minerals and all those things that make that flavor um, are a big part of why this tastes the way it does. It's really wonderful. Let's, can we talk about one thing though? So do, if they, do you do, what is the higher proof whiskey that you do? So this is an 80 proof. What is the higher one? So we do actually a few different, um, with the 92 proof is Becky's distiller's edition. So those are barrels that she's hand selected because they taste a little bit more interesting, spicy or whatever, you know, some kind of different profile. And those traditionally for us then are being aged in Virginia wood. So the, the 80 proof is aged in Minnesota wood, but the Virginia wood is going all into the 92 proof product. The cask proof product is when we find that perfect barrel that's just so smooth and nice as is. Don't even add water to it. Just drink it as is. And that one is, is really special. And then of course we have the, the Rabble Rouser, which is our bottled and bond four-year-old product. And what that one is, um, what the way that differs from most, let me see if I can grab it here. Um, behind me here is also, it's extremely hard to get. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get because I don't have any here either. So, <laughs> but anyway, so the rabble rouser is um, bottled in bonds. So that means automatically it's four years old, everything made in house and a hundred proof. But what we do differently is we open up that pot still. So we have the column on the pot still, we can open up those plates and then that gives us an ability to run it like an old hillbilly still a very old kind of traditional distillation where the spirit coming through is really rough but it's got a lot of stuff in it and if you give it enough time in the barrel it's going to get really really nice and so that one is super hard to find very limited we only usually do about a thousand bottles a year and that one is usually sold before it even gets on the market what when wow. do you bottle that is it, is it like when do you bottle that september october we bottle it usually around christmas and then we release it usually in february that's what it was i couldn't i knew it was after the holidays because i wanted yeah. it before a holiday and i got told no yeah. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Like, they just don't do it then. It's a we beautiful just, It's product. not ready. It, you know, because it's bottled in bond, it has to be exactly four years old. And so we can't bottle until it is. It's stunning. It's one of, so, I, I think it's, it's a beautiful whiskey. And if you're an, if anybody out there is an avid whiskey collector, like you need it, you need something to like put up against whatever. It's, it's definitely one that's worth the hunt or get on a list or a pre-sell if, if that's possible. I don't, I don't know, but like, it's amazing. 
Yeah, that's so, nice Gina, of you what, to say. What, what, what do you recommend? Is that just something you typically sip very clean? Yes. Yes. That's when you just sit around and contemplate life and you open up a book <laughs> and you take a moment for yourself and you think Write about it. Write your memoirs. Yeah, or you have like, um, or you have a very interesting conversation with a close friend or spouse. I mean, sometimes, you know, it doesn't always need something else. It just needs to be appreciated. Yeah. And I don't, and don't do shots of no. it because some no, people, no. I, I, I see people do whiskey shots of like these amazing whiskeys. I'm always like, you just, you just took two shot, two ounces to the head, and you have no idea what it tastes like. It right. makes no sense to me. Okay. Now oh, that, good. so here's a different twist today. Scott's getting okay. a cocktail, right? That's what Look I at you. Getting the day off, Gina. <laughs> I'm excited because I always have to make the cocktail. So when someone else steps to the game, I'm like, yes. Yep. <laughs> so tell us what the listeners need. And I'm going to move my camera down. So you want to see um, step by step. Basically, Scott will walk us through it and I will make it on camera. Does that make okay, sense? Okay, so you're still going to make the cocktail, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm awesome. going to make the cocktail as you tell me what I need to do. Okay, are you doing, you want to start with the whiskey or the gin? Uh, gin. Gin, okay, so we're going to do a cocktail that was in Kara Newman's recent book. Um, and uh, her book is called uh, Shake, Stir, Sip. And it's basically cocktails in equal parts. So this cocktail is called the Sunflower. And we're going to start with the Watershed Gin. Do we need a stirrer or a shaker tin? Um, yeah, so we're gonna shake. So, uh, so this has some citrus in it. So let's get a shaker of ice. Okay. Okay, do you have any absinthe with you? Of course, yes. Okay, so what we're gonna do, first we'll do a rinse of the glass. I would use a coupe and let's rinse that glass with um, the absinthe. Okay. I'm getting it, hold please. All right, we have absinthe in the glass. We are Okay, rinsing. absinthe, rinse. No ice yet? No ice No, here. not yet. Just like that, what you're doing. And then okay. what I always do is I always pour too much absinthe in the glass and then I down it because I'm just Got a it. lush. <laughs> All um, right. Okay, so now what you're gonna do, shaker of ice, and let's add equal measure parts. So we go three quarters of an ounce of each of watershed gin. Yep. Lemon. Okay. Go ahead. Okay, next we'll do some, uh, any kind of orange liqueur. Uh, dry curacao is nice, um, whatever you have there. Cointreau's okay? Cointreau's great. Okay. And right. the last one is Saint Germain. And then again for three quarters of an ounce? Yeah, everything equal parts. Okay. Oh my God, you're gonna love this. I, I, I'm gonna make one as soon as this video is over. It's kind of like a daisy and then yep. not a daisy. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's got, you know, it's got the orange liqueur. It's got, I mean, it's got the St. Germain in it. Um, when, once you make it and sip it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quiz you on it um, because it has, to me, there's something very special about this particular cocktail that I just love. So, so go I'm ahead and shake. Wait, I'm gonna give everybody a pro tip really quickly. When you're making a shaking cocktail, you put all of your liquor in one side. Then when you are ready for the ice, you put it on this side and then you put it on top. And when you fill the smaller side all the way to the top, that's appropriate amount of, of ice to shake a cocktail. Okay, still no ice in here? No ice in there, yep. Okay. Give us a shake. Ready. And while she's shaking, we would also probably use a, uh, 
a little slice of lemon peel just for garnish. Okay. okay. Are we double straining or single strain? That's good enough, I think. Yeah, there's not too much, unless your lemon juice is super chunky. Nope. Yeah, so you go ahead and you can strain that into the coop and then garnish with, with a lemon. With all the absinthe in there. No, I would go ahead and dump out the rest of the absinthe okay. once you've rinsed the glass. Let's well, discard the absinthe. And we're gonna fill it up. Oh, look at that. It fits the glass perfectly. It's almost like I know what She's I'm doing. She's a pro. And then you almost. want a lemon wheel or a lemon peel? A peel, just a little peel. So when you have a, when you have a coupe sized glass, I would say everybody just about a quarter, if not a little bit smaller. And then we're gonna atomize and then drop in or discard? Drop in. Okay, we're gonna drop it in. All right, and give that a taste and tell me what you think. Oh, that's so good. All right, we're good. So what I love about this cocktail, okay, what I love about this cocktail is the fact that it is a perfect example of um, of synergy. You know, it's got four parts, five if you count the so absinthe, lovely. but the sum of the parts, you don't really taste any of them by themselves. You know, they all blend together and you almost get these kind of like nutty, kind of cool flavors that come out of this cocktail. It's so drinkable as on its own. Um, and I just love it. It's called the sunflower. It's kind of like like the show, just a little nutty, a little fruity, <laughs> blends really well. Right. <laughs> All the things just come together. So lovely. Yeah. I could nice drink that summer. all day long. Nice for summer. That's one of our standards. Becky and I, you know, our house cocktails that we make for ourselves here in the home bar. And uh, the sunflower is is a regular now for us on that lineup since since we got Kara's book. It's a, um, I'll come home from work. Becky usually works later in the afternoon than I do. And I'll come, she'll come home and she'll be like, honey, make me a sunflower. <laughs> I would like Better to come, come over and be like, honey, make me a sunflower. I'm totally into that. <laughs> um, so I heard there's one more cocktail to make. We normally only do one on the show, but I'm ready for a second. Yeah, if Let's you guys don't mind. Do it. Another cool cocktail. People are always bitching, like, I can't drink whiskey in the summertime. And it's like BS. You know, you can drink whiskey in the summertime. So you had mentioned earlier the Daisy. So we're going to do the, the modified Daisy, which became known as the Whiskey Sour, right? And yep. so we're going to get our shaker here again. Yep. Okay. Little Roundstone Rye. And How let's much? go ahead, the Roundstone Rye, I'm going to say two ounces on that. Okay. So I'm going to do it here with you as we're going. And I'm going to do two, oh, that might have been a little more. No one's, no one's, no one's, no one's no going to tell. Judging. No one's Yep, no one's judging. All right. Now, next on that, um, I'm going to use some lemon. So we squeeze our own lemons here at home, and I have my little lemon bottle here. So a little uh, lemon juice. How much? Let's I'm go for mine fresh. Yeah, three quarters of an ounce of lemon would be good, or half an ounce to three quarters, whatever you prefer. Okay. Okay. Let's add that in there. Let's go ahead and grab some simple syrup. So I have a rich simple, so I'm going to use a little less, but uh, three quarters of an ounce of regular simple syrup. A little less if it's rich. Unless okay. you like it sweet, and then go for it. Okay, so that's our basic whiskey sour. Now I have here one, uh, and this is optional, but I have one egg white in here. You can kind of see it there. Um, I pre-cracked it. Egg white. So and I'm we'll going to add the egg we'll white. Do a, we'll do a little variation for everybody at home. So if you're going to do an egg white cocktail that's your first time, I suggest that you do it in the smaller side that we said we put the ice in earlier. And you separate the egg and let the egg white go in there. You could, of course, you never want to do it into the whiskey because it's a waste of whiskey when you get the shell in there and then it's a mess. 
Right, right. <laughs> just, a so, little, just a little pro tip. We're going to do a dry shake, which means we're shaking without ice at first, just to froth up that egg and get the ingredients muddled together. So let's do that. I'm ahead of the game. I and depending on how you shake, everybody, again, when you're doing a dry shake, you want to shake it as hard as you possibly can. And when you open up the container, you're looking for something that resembles a slight meringue. Slight meringue, that's right. And you can do the merengue while you get the meringue. So that's what you're looking for. <laughs> okay. Okay, now we're going to add some ice. Hey, look, Gina, I did it. Right? <laughs> now, with this, with this one, we're just going to shake a little bit because we don't want to break down that egg. just to welcome the ingredients together. And then you're looking for that kind of froth. What kind of glass do you want this in? A coupe. A coupe? I'm putting it in a coupe because I had one handy. You got it. And then I would add just a little touch of Angostura or whatever you like um, on top just to decorate the foam a little bit. So I, I strain this into the, my coop, right? Yes, 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 please. You, you see that nice, I don't know if you guys can see this on camera or not, but you it's have beautiful. a nice almost half in, like one inch almost of, of foam. You really, this drink is 100% technique. And I did not hit it. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's a practice okay. I didn't it's do that. So then if you're making this at home for yourself, a really good way to do the bitters is to put your thumb over the top of your bitter, over, over your bottle to control it. And then you take a little knife and you kind of get a little cloth and make it a little bit special for yourself. I have an amoeba. What do you, let me see your shape. Yeah, I don't know if you can see it. It's just, it's... Kind of, yeah, I can't, I can't show it to you. It's, my camera won't go that way. Now but you can really see the line on my cocktail. I have a blob, so I have a blob. And you can see that I don't have one at, hardly at all. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go back to the drawing board. Well, oh, well. If, you're, if you're listening to the show, you can go to, um, what, what's the YouTube channel for the, to see the show? Oh, for us, it's Designated Drinker. So you go to Designated Drinker and you can see the tutorial on how to make a proper, um, egg white cocktail with whiskey or a whiskey sour if you saw the egg white. And you can see how it's a fail too. But I'm sure it's gonna taste the same. It's just I'm not somewhere as pretty, in between. Right? My foam was only about an eighth of an inch, so listen, practice makes perfect people. You can't just start it and then think that you're gonna have twenty years of experience making a beautiful cocktail, right? Yeah. Exactly. Right. So uh, let's toast to that. The that looks great. Cheers. This is great. Doesn't that taste amazing? I mean, is it? So Gina, what I'm yes. pulling out now is a lot of cinnamon notes. Is that? Is so that... again, so you just you just act. So basically, what you just did is you added lemon to it, and lemon's reacting with like its own flavors and everything in chemistry, right? Flavors react with different things, and and lemon happens to have quite a bit of acid. So when you have something that's acidic and something that's floral like rye and you put them together, it's like, see, that's where you're getting all of your tones. It's, so it's, like not, getting... it's not as pretty as yours, but it's tasty. 
Yeah. I, I, and the I, egg white gives it a nice mouthfeel too. There's a richness to it, like a smoothie. Yes. Yes. Totally. So Gina, do you like, do you, uh, we talked about this aquafaba, right? The garbanzo That's beans. That's water. Yeah. Do you Big use fans that of the aqua. So aquafaba, if you, um, basically what you do with that is you drain off your chickpeas, make yourself a nice salad, retain the water, and you use that in place of the um, egg white. You need to use a little bit more than an ounce. So right now when you use an egg white, you're about an ounce of, of ounce of egg white. The aquafaba, you need just a little bit more to get there. I need to shake a little bit harder. Mm. So Gotcha. So if we're using one ounce of egg white or one whole egg white, then you're using about an ounce, and between an ounce and a quarter, an ounce and a half. And don't, when you want to use aquafaba, you're going to have to not get the low sodium on that one because you really need the breakdown of that, um, of the starch that happens in the can when you get the chicken. Gotcha. And you can make gotcha. it yourself, but not every, I, honestly, if it's your first time go at it, just get a can of chickpeas because you're not going to do it the same and you're not going to get the same result. You're just going to have some slimy water. <laughs> <laughs> and your drink will probably look a lot like mine. <laughs> it is a really great vegan alternative for a frothy cocktail and it's yes. super tasty. Well, my thing is, I, I was telling Scott, it was very common in Mexico when we were in Puerto Vallarta. There was an amazing cocktail place doing amazing, amazing things. It was something I wasn't expecting to find. And they were using the chickpea water one because of the safety, the heat in the summer. Um, and and I, I would imagine maybe the cost, I don't know. Uh, but I couldn't tell the difference. I mean, I've had many, many, many of your cocktails and it wasn't that I felt like I was missing out. So I would like to think that I know what it should, you know, taste like, or at least feel like mouthfeel. And it was very, it was, it wasn't like, I felt like, oh, I'm having a, the vegan version of bacon, which I don't care what anyone uh, says. There's no such thing. <laughs> All yeah. right. Louise. No, we got to do our housekeeping, Gina. Come on. We're, okay. No, you come on. Where are they? Where are we? <laughs> Do you like that bad? <laughs> um, tell me, where are our guests going to go to get um, all the tips, how to's, tricks, and how to make this cocktail look like yours, not like mine? And, and find- also get the links to find out where all of Scott's amazing um, products are. Where are they going to go? You're going to go to designateddrinker.show. Scott, are you guys doing, are you open at the distillery now? Yeah, we're open now. We have limited service. It's 50% capacity right now. Perfect. And then so again, where are they going to go? And we're going to give them links to the to the distillery? To where are they going, Gina? Yes, so all of our listeners only need, can just go straight to our website. We'll make sure all of the links of how to get there, where to get it, everything that's going on um, that Scott and his lovely wife are doing. So. Okay. Now, it's you. Okay. Last question, Scott. Have you ever listened to our show? Uh, no, I haven't. I'm going to be on it, uh, so I have to listen now. Huh? <laughs> so in this day and age, everybody identifies themselves with something, and you might identify yourself with a needle-nosed beetle that burrows their hole into the ground and stays there forever and then pops out in seven years with a new product or a new, a new hive. Right? <laughs> a new product. <laughs> I've got whiskey. No. But if you want to identify yourself as one, in, one spirit ingredient, what would it be and why? One spirit ingredient. So like um, something I would make into a drink, a liquid. Drink, food, just one ingredient that's your spirit ingredient that really defines you. Um, You know, golly, um, (laughs) that's funny. So, So I was born and raised in Germany. So first and foremost, what that means is I am promiscuous with spirits. I drink anything. 
and everything. Um, and it's all in the name of research, of course. Of course but, it is. That's, uh, the IRS knows it to be that's so. That's exactly right. All of this is research. But exactly. um, if there was one spirit ingredient that really sort of defines me, it would be the first thing I ever drank as a five-year-old kid growing up in Germany. So when we would have dinner in Germany, Germans have huge meals and, and our landlady, who was like my grandmother, would pile your plate high with food and you would eat it all and clean your plate, you know, and then she would you fill it to. again. Yeah, you had to. You clean your plate and then she, if it was empty, she said, well, you must be hungry, so I'll fill it again. She, you would clear your plate like three times. You would, and then finally on the third plate, you'd be like, I can't finish anymore. And then she would look at you and she'd go, what, you didn't like it? And uh, and so at the end of this meal, you're like bloated and you've had too much to eat and all this stuff. And so we would get a, a German bitters called Bonacomp. And this is like a German version of Amaro or like Underberg, you know, these kinds of things that are a little more popular today. But at the time, it was just this bitter thing. And everybody at the table would get a shot. Five-year-olds, eight-year-olds, it didn't matter. Everybody got a shot of this. And we'd all look each other in the eye. And it was extremely bitter. Didn't taste good at all. And we would look each other in the eye and we'd go, ein, zwei, drei, boom. And then we would all shoot this liquor together. And in Germany, the Bonacomp, this thing like, kind of like Jägermeister, has one extra ingredient in it that's not available in the U.S. And that is paragoric, which is an opiate. And so that opiate would basically take your digestive system and go, ah. And now you're not feeling bloated anymore. And then you would go, okay, time for strudel. So... I'd I thought say, she was just like when you were five, it's like time to go to bed. Well, I would probably <laughs> sleep life. really well. I'm sure my parents love the ride back home. I bet. <laughs> love that. All right. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so so your ingredient was one more time? Bonacomp. So it's spelled B-O-O-N-E-K-A-M-P. Bonacomp. There you go. There you have it. I, I know we haven't had that one before and I doubt we ever get that one again gina <laughs> probably not probably not <laughs> cheers everybody cheers. cheers thank you thanks scott thank you guys the designated drinker show is produced by missing link a podcast media company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent engaging and informative content Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. To learn more about HCOA or to find out about Missing Link's other podcasts, head over to missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company. 